We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey, everyone. I'm here tonight on the latest episode of Client Horror Stories with Braden, the first chef that I've ever interviewed and possibly the first chef that I know. And I'm really excited to jump in and hear your stories. If only I had some pastries with me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Morgan. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to send some out to you. Next time, if we do this again, (laughs) I'll be forewarned and I'll make sure you get something. That, 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 that sounds like a plan. So let's jump right into the story. Give us the background and then what happened. Well, certainly. Thank you very much. This is a story that happened at one of my previous places of employment. And where I worked, we were a semi-industrial wholesaler of patisserie. What that means is, let's say you operated a restaurant You could not, though, hire your own pastry staff. We could produce everything you needed to make your desserts or any kind of baked good that you needed for your restaurant, sell it to you wholesale, and then the staff that you had on hand could plate the items or use them in the restaurant's preparations. We would do this for hotels, country clubs, restaurants, grocery stores, a very wide range of different outlets within the food industry. I I had no idea that this industry even existed. You learn something new every day. (laughs) Yes, it's, it's actually really a large part of the industry. Just quickly, for example, when you go into Mm -hmm. a grocery store and if you talk about what we professionally call the in-store bakery so it's generally in the corner somewhere yes yes some of that might be produced yeah exactly everybody knows that they all know the in-store bakery some of that might be produced beginning to end at the store most of it though is either bought in wholesale and all the store is doing is putting their label on it or it's Mm. bought in kind of piecemeal but again wholesale and they're just assembling or finishing and then again sticking their label on it white white labeling for food who who, i didn't even know that was a thing yes yeah it's (laughs) co-manufacturing you know co-mag as as we might say is a big part of the food industry and at this particular company that i worked for we were branching out into making these private label products Whenever you go to a store and you see an item that has maybe the store brand on it or a non-name brand, a non-national brand, it's considered a private label. And in this instance, we were approached by a retail chain of cupcake stores. And their business was taking off faster than they could handle. In the past, the original business model was They would make the cupcakes from scratch beginning to end at each individual store. So, for example, if they had a triple chocolate cupcake, each individual store had all of the ingredients, the recipe, the know-how, the equipment, 
everything they needed, and they would each make that triple chocolate cupcake beginning to end. What they needed right. to start doing was streamlining and simplifying the process. So what they decided to do was to start purchasing the cake, only the cake. So each store would still ice, decorate, finish the cupcake on site. They'll be buying in the cake component. That's where I, we were going to come in. By, by the way, what's it just randomly nothing to do with the horror story. This what's interesting about this is yeah. my pure ignorance about the uh, food industry. It's interesting just the parallels to like traditional manufacturing. Like like often Definitely. a lot of things have to be for, for laws, but like legally, uh, like there are a lot of countries that say, oh, if it's made in the USA, you get lower taxes. So really they make it in China, but they just finish it. In the in, in in the USA, and this is, feels just like oh, we'll just put the icing on mm -hmm. the cupcake. Mm -hmm. Yes, a lot of times, you know why it happens. A lot of times, it's the element of the theater and the storytelling of the process, oh. right? The food making process is so tied to our senses, and just think about the value that you grant to an item by finishing it in the store. Even if you bought the icing pre-made, bought the cake pre-made, simply the act of having a person pipe the icing on where the consumer can see that it's happening behind the counter, you've increased the value of your product. Wow. So your sale price is higher, your margins are better, and you're going to make more money. And these stores know that. I mean, they're smart. They're run by smart people. It's like that I, I already see myself as using using this metaphor because subconsciously yeah. and psychologically it gives the the potential client in the store the impression that all of it is made there mm -hmm. so uh yeah. so so yeah. It, it, it so uh, i love it i love it okay great so now now we so this is what this is what your your business did and uh your approach uh your approach by this woman and what happened Yes, so we're approached by this cupcake retailer, and the owner, she came in, and she came in a few times to get to know us, to get to know our owners. We had two owners, and that's kind of important to this story, is mm -hmm. the fact that we had two owners, one who was the executive pastry chef, and one who handled all of the business side, mainly the financial side of running this company. From the minute this customer came in, we knew this was going to not end well. <laughs> if you've ever just seen a person come in a room and you can feel their energy, you can see how they interact with people, you know, oh, I don't like the direction this is taking. Let's, okay, now we're getting to the, like, the preface to the heart. So it's, it's getting even more interesting. So oh, yeah. question. Were, question, were there any clues that like little things this person said or did mm -hmm. that, uh, that, gave, that, that, that set off the alarm bells in your head in the very beginning? In my head, personally, one of the... Or among your other coworkers. Were there, the, the, reason, the reason why I'm, I'm asking is, and this is interesting, is... Often when you first meet someone, you get this feeling that something's gonna go wrong. But what I found is that often it's because 
they said this little thing, they did this little thing, they acted inappropriately. Like these small problems are very often representative of the huge problems there. So one of the best ways to avoid these disastrous situations is when you notice the small problems to clamp down or leave or solve it before it begins. Mm -hmm. Oh, you are 100% correct. And I, I could tell stories about small problems that I've seen that were indicative of larger problems. Oh. In this instance, one of those small issues was she really seemed more interested in coming to meet us for the free food <laughs> than for how we could actually help her business. Everything. It's totally ridiculous. On, she would come over. What? What's that? What are you working on? And of course, we're going to tell her to potential customer we want to share the work we're doing you explain what we're working on can i try that sure we always make extra of course here you go and by the second or third visit we had learned that this was going to happen so we started preparing snacks for her and her entourage when they would come so we could make sure we could almost proactively head her off at the pass so to speak and we would have in the room where they're going to meet you know what, let's just put some snacks in there and then she won't come and bother us when we're trying to have production. Because at the end of the day, really, after the initial tour, she's there to meet with the owners. She's there to work out a deal so that she can understand what value we can bring to her business, how we can help her streamline her process, and how at the end of the day, this will be profitable for both of us. So this is actually, this is actually really, really interesting. So one thing that's interesting is like, is my work has all been in the digital world and there's just such interesting parallels between here and the digital world. So often you meet potential clients who just want like free meeting after free meeting after free meeting. Unless you have brainstorm on this, how would you deal with this situ uh, situation? And they kind of keep on pushing the meeting and all your attempts to say, uh, to say, hey, like it's time to get started. It's like, well, I just have a really little question about, uh, uh, about this. So there's this, there's this type of person and I wonder if there's some sort of like rule of thumb, like before you sign a contract, there are like three meetings or like some somehow maybe a way to for the for everyone watching this in order to prevent this sort of problem is to develop a policy where you have two free meetings or three free meetings, period. And like 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 be, before the contract starts in order to avoid these sorts of tire kickers. Definitely. If we to hit on that, skip ahead to where I work now. Most of the work we do is development. It's all product development. And we don't charge for that. We do the work because at the end of the day, that development leads to sales and that leads to repeat business. It's part of the service we offer. What we do, though, is at a certain point in the development and a certain level of ask, and generally in this case, it is a sample amount of one of our products, the customer has to pay for it. We might provide, say, right. the freight. We'll get it to them. If though, because we deal in sometimes large volumes, if for them to okay a project, they need, let's say, a thousand pounds of product, they're buying it from us. Right. And then that's how we have a measure in place to keep them from abusing the system. And that's just one example. We use that same idea though, in a multitude of ways to make sure that at certain points along the way, we have a process in place that can bring a stop. And so that if the customer's not serious about moving forward, 
we're not wasting our time or really their time. Because if it's not going to go anywhere, there's no value in either of us continuing. Yeah, this um, this 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 makes sense. So the so the the timely signal point is an interesting yellow flag, and the solution and one solution side is either have a policy of so much free time or just like charge charge upfront for the uh, uh, mm -hmm. for for the free time. Yeah. Another another interesting aspect of this uh, of this detail of the yellow flag here is uh, is while she kept on coming in, just from the way you describe it, it seems like. She wasn't that interested in like, let's get down to dirty official details rather than diving into the specifics of like, how will partnership work and like and all those little details. And something I've seen as another yellow flag is, is people who are much more concerned about what it looks like on the surface than what's actually happening under like underneath is like, those are the clients I wanna run away from. Definitely. No, again, you're 100% correct. And I've seen it not only in this instance, but in others as well. When after a few meetings, they're not really getting down to the true details and the true core of the project, they're probably not interested or they just don't know sometimes. They're just not aware even of the right questions to ask or what that true core is. And those those can be different, and you can. That, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I think this is a you're making a good and a subtle point that often they don't know. So some people are care about the superficial uh, attitude just because like they're bad clients, they're not interested, they're just like. They're there to waste. They're they are there to waste money. They don't care about the, the business or for whatever reason. But there's also the type of person who's just like too inexperienced, or maybe inexperienced in this industry, or maybe a bit naive. Mm -hmm. So they don't even realize. So they may be good-hearted and not realize it. And figuring out which is if it's the good or the fanboy, the good or the bad form of this naivete, and then figuring out how to deal with it, I think is is one of the trickier challenges of this type of situation. It certainly is, because what I've learned, at least in our industry, is the folks who don't know what they don't know, well, they don't know that they don't know it. As you <laughs> said, though, when they're, most of the time they're good-hearted, smart people, you can work with them. You can get to that. If you explain to them what the situation is and what's important to you as their partner, they're going to understand. They're going to come around. They're going to realize. In this specific case, though, I don't think that would have helped. At the end of the day, this was a person who didn't know a lot because they didn't have a background in the food industry. The reason that they got into the industry was admirable. I would take nothing away from why they got into the industry and started this business. They got into the industry because they actually started selling cupcakes for a charitable cause. And people liked their cupcakes. I think that's fantastic. They were doing good work, right? They were helping people in need through the sale of cupcakes. I'm not going to stop you ever. When you then decide you're going to quit your job and make this your business with no experience, maybe you should have taken some time to figure out what it was that you didn't know. Because we see that a lot, especially in the food industry. 
people think it's Willy Wonka all the time, that there's chocolate waterfalls and magical people who are going to help you get through everything. It's hard, let me tell you. Margins are tight. Customers are demanding. It's a tricky industry to navigate, and even more so today with logistical supply chain issues and inflation. Very hard. If you don't have the right training, the background, and a personality for it, it's not a good idea to start a food-based business. <laughs> it's just, it's not. And that's what we had here. We had somebody who had a love and a passion for food. They didn't have a good sense of business in general, and they didn't know the specific areas where one could fail when that business is based in food, because there are a lot of unique variables that you run into with a food-based business that you don't run into if you're making, say, jewelry or t-shirts or any type of item that's not meant for human consumption. Now, if we continue with this story, we did come to an agreement. The owners came to an agreement on right what we would be delivering, when we would be delivering it, the price point, all of those details were worked out. So the next step was for us to get the recipes because we would be replicating their recipes and to start ordering the ingredients. They again wanted to come in and just have a look at all the ingredients once they're in. Honestly, a little odd, right? Generally, we trust each other professionally when your recipe has a certain ingredient. We know what that is. We're going to purchase it. If we have any questions, we're going to ask for something called a technical data sheet or a TDS sheet. It's going to give us all of the technical specifications. We'll give it to our vendor and they'll get us the right product. Now, what's interesting here, but the right product. Just, for, for one second, what's also interesting about that, I, I like your point about you, about, tr uh, about trusting each other, but usually the signing a contract and giving the first payment is a sign that you trust someone like you don't hire and pay someone if like if, if, if you don't trust them so so this this makes it a little bit weird and i feel like the best explanation is this naivete like uh, and, and it's like i'm not a professional so i'm like really scared about what's what's going to happen and you don't really know how things go professionally most definitely i would 100 percent agree the person they just don't know they're unaware and they're used to having a certain level of control and giving that level of control up right. when you're an entrepreneur can be very scary. That is frightening when you have to trust someone else with your business, with your yes. name on it. That's hard. Yes. Right. And again, continuing professionally, you yes. can get the same ingredient packaged two, three, four, five, six, 47 different ways. And it can be the same ingredient. So once we had all the ingredients in, the owner and her team came in. They started looking at the ingredients. And they just started going off on one of our owners saying, this is not our ingredient. This is not what we use. This is different. And he had to try to explain to her, well, yes, the packaging is different, right? You purchase right now for your stores, which do a small volume you purchase in smaller packaging from your vendor. We purchase in larger packaging from our vendor. Same product, same exact technical specifications. 
It just looks different. She could not understand this. Wait, wait, I, I just want to, I want to clarify this just to make sure I understand it. And I'm not like this, okay, this, this terrible client. So is it, when you say it's a different packaging, is it just like literally the same thing? Just the box that it was delivered in is like a different box or is it like both yeah. like the same chocolate, but like, it's like a one chocolate, like in a powdered form or a liquid form, like different forms of the same food. No, not different forms. You hit it on the head the first time when it's you said same just item, just box. box. The box it comes in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So where they were maybe buying it in a five-pound box because each of their stores only had to make, let's say, 100 cupcakes at a time. We were buying it in a 50-pound package because we had to make 500 cupcakes at a time. That's all it was. Wait, so, wait, so, wait, so it's interesting. It's, I'm kind of confused. Even really stupid people like understand that different quantities come in different boxes and you're making a mm. larger quantity. So you need, you need to buy, buy a version that will have a larger box. Like this, this isn't rocket science here. So, so like, no. was she really that stupid or like, what was like, what, what was actually happening or it was happening in her mind, let's say. I luckily have not been in. I'm very fortunate. I thank goodness for you. Thank goodness. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I think it all goes back because I've had experience as an entrepreneur. I've had experience in the corporate world. And I know how difficult that is to give up control. Right, right. When I look back at the situation, I see almost all of her actions as being those of a person who didn't know how to give up control and be the leader in a situation where you empower other people to do their best instead of being the hero of the situation. Those are two very different roles. And I strongly feel as I've thought about this situation and looked back on it, that while this was blatantly obvious to her. As you said, this was a smart enough person to run a successful business after she started figuring it out. She probably deep down really understood. She couldn't, I think, handle giving up that control that she had because it is, it is difficult. So and when you... So it's super interesting, actually, your analysis makes complete sense and it sounds right. What I would add to that is something I found in dating is I found that when you date, there naturally fights. And whenever my girlfriend is, is angry, uh, no, da, 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 and gets very angry over something, it turns out every single time, the real reason why she's angry has nothing to do with what she's saying. Like, she's really angry I didn't leave the cap on the toothpaste, but really she's frustrated about some deeper emotional, where's our relationship going? Some bigger thing, but it manifests itself in a stupid way. And it sounds like there's this business parallel here and there's this parallel here. So she shows something completely ridiculous when really there's this deeper subtext to her insecurities about delegating and giving up control. 
Oh, I think, again, that's actually brilliant. And that is something that actually ties into a point that I learned in a class on communication years ago. And the instructor used this saying to catch people off guard and definitely kind of make them laugh a little bit, at least people of a certain age. And the saying was that when you are working with people, when you are communicating, when you're doing business, remember, all business is personal. And it kind of makes you laugh if you're of a certain age, because if you grew up like I did watching 80s movies, how many of the bad guys were business people? And it, hey, it's not personal. It's just business, <laughs> right? We can all hear that phrase in our head. Oh, no, hey, it's not personal. It's just business. And the point here was what the instructor was trying to teach us was you're always doing business with other people. So it's therefore personal. You have to understand where they're coming from, meet them where they are, have empathy and understanding. And then the situations that you're explaining, they're worried about A, but it's really manifesting as them acting out about B. You'll be able to handle those and know how to communicate when you remember that. They're not really mad about B, they're mad about A. Because just like you, they're a person. Take the business for a moment out of the equation and try to understand the person. Yeah, that, um, that, that, make, that, make, that makes perfect sense. So I love your Star Trek cup, by the way. I kind of want one. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, a, um, I'm a big fan. <laughs> so and so I, I like this observation that it's about the person. And it seems like the underlying challenge that this woman faced is the fact that to grow a business, you fundamentally need to learn delegation and all the trust and the risks that 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 that, that entails. And and she and she was just going through her struggle and being and being angry over the box it came in is a different size is a, is a manifestation of that struggle. Exactly. In the moment, it was quite frankly to those of us who were not the owners and were not dealing with that actively hilarious i mean it, it was funny to us to see this you know tantrum being thrown by a, a grown person uh but it was funny because again we weren't on the receiving end we were working we were in the other part of the area we didn't have to deal with it so so she, so okay so so funny. so she actually threw a tantrum over over the box size yeah. <laughs> there was there was a bit of a tantrum not a full grown, I'm going to get down on the floor, kicking and screaming toddler tantrum. There was it, a tantrum to the point of, I don't trust you. And it goes back to that. It goes back to that trust. I'm not sure that you're actually purchasing the right ingredients. I'm not sure you're going to execute this properly for me. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely delegation trust issues and an adult having a tantrum like like in an adult screaming is um like 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 either like you should know better or you shouldn't be in business so like even like just no matter what the context or the background getting at the point of an adult having a tantrum that alone forgetting everything else is like a red flag disqualifier yeah. oh yeah it, it it is i've in the past walked away from people professionally who have acted like that and i've said look right now 
This is not how we deal with problems. This is not how we communicate. I'm going to give you your space. I'm going to extract myself from the situation. Once you've had time, let's talk. Let's have an adult conversation. And that generally works well. I've never really been followed by the screaming person. Luckily. <laughs> right. So, um, okay. So now there's this whole art of dealing with and handling the screaming person. So she had the tantrum. What did your boss do who was on the receiving end? What he did is he tried to diffuse the situation by using facts, figures, information that could not be argued against. It all goes back really to uh, the technical data sheets that I talked about, right? There are industry standards. And so when we're given information and said, okay, here's the recipe, here are the products, here are the item codes from the manufacturer, even if we're not getting from the same manufacturer, we can line up technical specifications. So in this case, it might mean the level of fat in a cocoa powder or the level of solid in uh, a product. You can get something that is analogous. So we can get B that's exactly like A. It just comes from a different manufacturer. So, he so I just have, I have a parenthetical question, which is really more of my complete ignorance about the industry. If there are two products that have the same technical data, like two chocolates, this chocolate or that mm -hmm. chocolate, same percentage fat, same percentage of this sugar, same percentage of that, like when you like, does having the same technical data, is it even if they're from different manufacturers, is it the same taste? Like, that's, like are they effectively the same product? And, and so that's a great example actually, because in certain cases, yes, it could be the same. A lot of that depends on the manufacturing methods. So let's take, let's table chocolate for a moment. And I'll give an example where it could be the same and then chocolate where it can be different and why. A lot of people will, for various reasons, tell you that different milks might taste different. And they can. Generally, though, with like a dairy product, if it's, coming from the same area, the same region, the cows are on the same diet, it's being pasteurized in the same way, bottled in the same way, you're going to get right. something that tastes just like milk at the end. Now, when we start introducing different feed or different pasteurization methods, yes, you can change. As long as though the input is the same, the processing is the same, the output in that example should be the same. Chocolate, there are different types of cacao, so different types of trees that are biologically different, those are going to have different flavor profiles. Even if, let's say, we eliminate, there's three main types. Let's say we eliminate two of those, and now we're only dealing with one of those, right? So now our input is at this point the same. Now, though, once it's harvested, there are many steps. There's the drying, there's the fermentation, which in chocolate is huge. If any of these steps are completed differently, if that process is different, now your output will be different because there's also roasting, there's conching. So you could create two 60% chocolates that have identical TDS sheets that came from the same country, even the same farm. 
if different manufacturers, though, buy those beans, one might ferment the chocolate, the beans for a shorter amount of time. One might conch it for a longer right. amount of time. All of that's going to lead to a different output. You hit it on the head again, a different flavor. So in that specific example, let's say we are purchasing chocolate. We're going to get the same one because that will be important. Okay. By the way, I think what you just told me, even though it has nothing to do with the client heart story, is my favorite part of this podcast episode before because I found that endlessly fascinating. Oh, and um, and I also think it comes, it, it ties into this component of trusting who you hire that we that we were talking about a few minutes ago. Because if the tech, the technical data sheets cover some of this but there are details of the process that the TDS won't be able to cover. So she has to trust you to know, oh, for milk, it's okay if it lines up like this, but for chocolate, you have to get from the same, the same, the same manufacturer. So, uh, so if you, so this is a great example, re, like re, reinforcing that when you're not an expert in an industry, the detailed documentations like the TDS can only cover so much because fundamentally the professional that's hired you in this case is always going to know the inputs, the processes, everything much better than you do. So you have to trust them if you work with them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So much of what we do in any business is trust. It's empowering people and trusting them to do what you've hired them to do. There's a reason you hired them. Let them do their job. Totally. I say that to my team all the time. You have my 100% trust. Do your job. I'm not worried, right? I wouldn't have hired you if I didn't trust you to do it. If we go back to our story, we were talking yes. about her little tantrum. So as I said, yes. the owner was very calm. Let her just have the little tantrum. Let her calm herself down a little bit. Explained to her using information data that was infutable what was going on all right situation solved moved on from next step in this process right we have our agreement we have our ingredients we have our recipes and everything it's time to schedule production and we would of course do testing on our own to just make sure that we could produce some samples and everything's going to be the same because again you have to remember process different Many small retail stores, small ovens, everything's right. going to be different. Larger facility, larger mixers, that puts a different amount of air in the batter. Different ovens going right. to bake differently. So throughout this process now, we're going to be making some samples, sharing them with her and her team, and having them sign off on them to make sure that they are good. We learned from previous steps in the process, best action here is to make the samples, deliver them to wherever she was, drop them off, and then have her call. Just keep her out of the building. <laughs> She's going to eat all of our profits. Literally. 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 Let her in the building anymore. So we got to the point where everything was good. Okay. We can make the samples. We're good. We can go into having production runs for her. Right. Oftentimes in a situation like this, you're going to do one production run. And then after that, you'll be contracted for more production runs. You know, the size of the business I worked for and the size of her business did not dictate more than that 
for this situation. We didn't need to contract out one a month, two a month. It was really, let's do one production run, use this as a test case, and See then how it move on from there. Exactly, which, which is fine. No worries. It's the day for the production run. Well, actually, let's back up a bit about the week before leading up to the production run. The executive pastry chef comes in and he says, well, I have a little bit of news. I'm not too worried about it. Shouldn't be an issue. On the day of the production run here for the new customer for the cupcakes, I have to be out of town. I'm not going to be here. He assigns the pastry sous chef to take the lead, finish the planning so that she's finished the planning. So then she'll be there leading it. She should have all that knowledge and have done the work. So good move on his part, right. there, making sure he turned the process over to the right person who is actually going to be on site for the day of. And also prepare her and train her and know, like knowledge transfer, etc. Exactly. Exactly. So good move on our part. Day of comes, our staff comes in. The owner had asked if one of her staff members could come in and work with us. That's somewhat unusual, not 100%. Generally, though, again, when you have a co-manufacturer, you've done trials. If the customer signs off on the trials, you don't necessarily need to have one of your people there. It all comes back again to trust. Right. She wanted this. So we said, of course, not a problem, not going to get in our way. So it's our team. It's the member of her team. We start. We're going. It's going fine. No, no real issues. I'm getting nervous. Oh, no. <laughs> well, it yes, it ended up being a day. Let me just say that. And. What started happening is we started to slow down a little bit. Where I worked, we were semi-industrial, meaning most tasks were still completed by hand. The only tasks that we used any kind of industrial equipment for were really non-value-added tasks, tasks that a machine would be able to complete faster than a person and having the person do it didn't add value. So example, cutting even cake layers. We had a piece of equipment that could cut very even cake layers. I can cut even cake layers, but not on 500 cakes. I'm not that good. <laughs> so wherever there wasn't value in having the human touch, we would use machinery, but never for the finishing, the decorating, everything, all the fine touches were done by hand we started to get bogged down a little bit because of the way our operation worked. So there, that could have been a learning for our ownership and leadership that we probably should have done an intermediary trial step. We tried going from small-scale trial to large-scale production. There probably should have been an intermediary step there where you make a medium-sized number on your own budget just to make sure everything's going to run right. We didn't do that. I see. So uh, I see. So that's a really good lesson. That also applies to every industry. Like you do, like it's great that you do samples, but if you go from the sample to the huge one without anything in the middle, 
things change when they scale. So that's fantastic learning. Yeah. Now, when you're bogged down, does that just mean because the process was mostly manual as it was happening, this person got tired sometimes like, or like a little bit sloppy because like they're all, they're humans doing a lot of exactly. artisanal type work. So, 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 so that way, like you could like say like over, over so many hours, you exactly. start going slower and slower. Yeah. And okay. then you also, what you run into is your oven is going to bake differently when you're putting full racks into the oven, right, right. only, you know, two or three pans on a rack. So now as those extra baking times start to add up, even if it's just three or four minutes per rack, that all starts to aggregate and you are an hour behind at this point. Now you're two hours behind. It just keeps going. So when you take all these small delays, you can get pretty far behind. At this point, as we're starting to kind of fall behind, the owner uh, of the cupcake company has come in and she says, I know what we can do. I'm going to call some of my staff. I'm going to bring in extra help. Is that okay? And the non-technical owner was on site and he said, yes, that's a great idea. Let's do that. At the end of the day, as soon as you look back on it, probably should have stretched this out now over a two-day run. Shouldn't have tried to get all the work done in one day. There was no value in rushing. I always look at a situation and I say, am I adding value or am I taking value away? And we were taking value away by now trying to bring in people who didn't know our process or our machinery and manufacturing ways it wasn't going to add anything because now you have to and, train. And also, this is, this is getting super, super inter- interesting. Um, so now with these added people, here, here's my instinct again, knowing nothing about chef cooking in the industry. Any situation where like your company is tasked with something where the client says, oh, I want to bring in my own people to help do it. Like that's a disastrous uh, situation mm-hmm. in like in the making uh, um, because like it's this it like from the client's point of view it is a huge i i had some that's my trust but now i don't even trust you to do it so i need to come in and 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 uh, and do it and then integrating people that don't know each other to work together like uh, like like on the spot it, it feels yeah. like a nuclear bomb so what's interesting is that your is that the business partner said yes rather than be like, no, 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 no. Like we'll, like, we'll continue doing it on your own. Well, it's another example of he didn't know any better. He didn't know what he didn't know. He didn't know. He thought he was helping. And with the executive pastry chef out, really the sous chef should have stepped up. She, though, was stressed out just keeping production going and trying to make sure we were going to complete the project as it had originally been laid out. And that's something I've learned. Projects change. Situations change. If you cannot be adaptable and flexible, you're going to fail. You need to be able to change. Um, By the way, I just want to call out for Uh uh, viewers a minor point you made that I think is important about how the sous chef should have stepped up. And I think Mm -hmm. that's another 
key point where like the difference between the leadership and the mature professional and like the young person still learning is the is this ability to like say no and push back so by having a more junior person do it even if the junior person was very very technically competent and really good at at her job she just didn't have that senior level confidence mm -hmm. to be like no 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 so so that that that's another massive learning as well exactly no, I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, I'll throw in here before we continue with the timeline. This was, again, by this point, just hilarious to us who are a little lower on the ladder is the owner of the cupcake company. Once she showed up, do you know what she spent the majority of her time doing? I'm going to guess. <laughs> I'm going to guess it involves eating something. <laughs> it does. Eating cupcakes off the production line wait off the production line oh yes so they'd be coming <laughs> out of the oven they have to be depanned, and then they went down a conveyor to be packaged and she would come over and go oh quality control um, 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 cupcake five minutes later quality control cupcake <laughs> and, and oh we God. eventually had to stop her and say hey quality control totally valid yes you need to quality control you're quality controlling 10 cupcakes out of every batch. That is not valid. You need to have a set process and you need to stick to it. And you know what might be a better idea? Why don't you let us bring you some to quality control? Can we agree to that? Okay. Uh, so th yes. This is ridiculous and also really funny and also educational. So I would have guessed, oh yeah, there's like, you guys made extra food, but it's really interesting that she's like, she knows she's paying for so many cupcakes and going and like taking her own cupcakes, like losing a substantial uh, portion mm -hmm. just because she wants to, she wants to eat them is, is like, I, I love this imagery. And this also emphasizes a different point about how big words like quality control can always be used, a big word can be used, and a business, I'll say it like this, fancy business words can are often used as excuses to justify what you want to do. And I think the, the more mature approach is to have a defined process and follow it. But the immature approach is use a big word in order to justify, oh, no, no, I need to do quality control, which is, which is feeding her own ego and literally feeding in this oh, yeah. point, in this case. Yeah. I, I really, I couldn't make up this situation. I, I was just kind of dumbfounded by just, frankly, the sheer number of cupcakes this woman could eat. I'm amazed I haven't seen her as a professional competitive eater. Somewhere. <laughs> was she obese? <laughs> she did have a little bit of a, a weight problem. As an outsider looking in, yeah. I though I try not to judge because yeah. I, I truly don't know. I really I don't know. So yes, do I look at her and say, okay, she probably is heavier than she wants to be? I would say yes. I have no reason. Uh, yeah. I, have, yeah. I don't know why. And so I've learned, and it's kind of hard, but I've learned not to judge. Totally. in those areas and again just have empathy and try to meet the person where they are anything else isn't fair to them and it's not fair to me i need to take that Perfect. bias and and put it to the side it's the only way any of us can grow and move forward 
Now, again, back to the timeline. So we are going. And I should say, we started our team at about six that morning. We got an earlier start than usual to make sure we were going to be ready and everything was set up. By now, it's getting to be mid-afternoon. I realize that we're just going to try to keep going. We're going to try to get this entire production run done in one day. And I was newly married at the time. So I just call my wife just to let her know, hey, hon, crazy day at work. I am definitely not leaving as I usually do at five o'clock. This is, this is going to go long. And she is a food scientist. So she also has a food huh. background knows how to work with food, understands good manufacturing practices, is somebody who you can bring into a wholesale food environment and can quickly pick up on what needs to be done and do it right. So she says, well, can I come down? We don't live that far away. Can I come down? I mean, can I help? Can I, is there anything I can do? So I kind of do one of these. Hey, hey, I have my wife on the phone. She's a, she knows food. She's a food scientist. Do we need another set of hands? Everyone starts going, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell, tell her to come down. Tell her to come down. So I say, okay, hon, sure. She can do more quality yeah. control. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so she says, fine, I'm done with work for the day. I'm going to come down. So a little while later, she comes down. So now immediately she gets thrown in to start working as well. And I'm quickly showing her where things are and what to do. And I give her a task. And... It just keeps going in this manner, where at this point, we have our leader, the pastry sous chef, who is trying to keep things organized as they were defined in the original plan, which at this point is a mistake, in my opinion. You needed to, again, be flexible, adjust the plan, call the leaders together, and make a new plan, but that didn't happen. So she's trying to execute the original plan. The owner of the cupcake store is freaking out because things are not going to the original plan and she was not capable of leading. She had a little bit of a breakdown and her husband came and they spent a little time outside. Actually, there was some crying involved. It was, again, totally judgment free. Like, I feel bad looking back on it. I, I feel for her. This is her business, her name, her livelihood. And she was just not mature enough in a business world to know how to keep this situation together. And she needed that support. She needed her family to come in and, and, and offer her support. And then you have our owner, who is focused again on the business side, doing what he normally did, which was walking around looking confused, not really <laughs> knowing what to do, because if it wasn't sitting in front of a computer... And I don't want to take anything away from what he did. Yeah. He, though, didn't need to be there. He wasn't adding value. He was looking confused and not giving good leadership, not suggesting as the senior leader, you know what, everybody, maybe we need to take a step back. Let's pause. Let's see where we are. And let's see how we can come up with a solution. That's another big thing that I have learned is I never look at the problem. I always use solution-based thinking. I tell my team, we don't have a problem. We only have solutions we haven't found yet. So let's not right. get hung up on what's wrong. Let's look at where we need to be 
and how do we bridge this gap? How do we get from the issue we have to our desired solution? What is that? That's what we need to do. And nobody in this situation had the ability to perform that type of thinking. They stuck to the plan, and that was to the detriment of everybody. But by the way, this is powerful. I want to observe that part of what makes this interesting is in a lot of client horror stories, it's like you have one client that says one big thing that that's that's bad or wrong or like a big judgment decision. Mm-hmm. But here, this is more like to use a, a powerful but underused saying: it's death by a thousand cuts. It's like this mm-hmm. small judgment, this small misjudgment, plus that small mistake, plus that small misjudgment, plus this little thing happened, all of which add up together to uh, to be this pressure cooker. It's in the process of exploding. Oh, yes. Yes. And that's really, I'd love to say there was some crazy ending. I could make up my Hollywood ending where there's a big fight. And everyone yells and screams and people throw cupcakes and they're covered in cocoa. (laughs) None of that happened. Basically, everything just petered out. The work got done. We wrapped up. The cupcakes were packed. They were delivered. And I think I got home at about two in the morning after my wife probably left around midnight. I stayed with the team to clean up a little bit, went home. And we agreed to come in late the next day <laughs> since we would have had to have been there this, maybe you know five hours after we left. This, uh, this reminds me of a poem of Auden's, like now it's already a century old, that ends, um, this is how the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Mm-hmm. And like, like there's no big bang explosion. Mm-hmm. It just... Peter, it just petered out and it was over. It did. It really did. And at the end of the day, everyone was just tired. They were frustrated and nobody wanted to go through this again. (laughs) So, so a few things first, after this happened, any other problems with the one? Did she pay the invoice or like, yeah. Yes. There, there were no other issues after this. No issues with payment, no issues on any type of follow-up. If you want to look at it as an issue, there was no repeat business. And everybody <laughs> That's probably knows. a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, yes. <laughs> so question, did then the, what I try to do in my company is whenever something goes wrong, I always say, how do we change our processes so that this doesn't happen again? Did the company then change a bunch of processes to uh, to to turn the, to turn what happened into learnings. No. Or, really. No. <laughs> well, sadly no. I I will say it's getting better. It definitely is getting better in the industry and the larger the food company you look at, the better they've always been at that type of thinking and problem solving. If you look, though, at smaller kitchens or smaller companies, there really is this attitude of just keep your mouth shut, get the work done. It's going to be hard. This is what we signed up for. And let's just move through. Let's forget about today. And let's just do a better job tomorrow. Well, how do we do a better job? By doing a better job. Well, yeah, <laughs> don't ask 
questions, just do a better job. Okay, chef. Last time though, this, I don't care what happened last time. Next time, just don't do that. Oh, so you're telling me I should learn from my mistakes. Well, don't make mistakes. Oh, but making mistakes is how we learn. I don't care. Just do a better job. Okay. And that was sort of how this went. And the icing on this, the cherry on top, is that both of these businesses are now out of business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when that one companies are make, making so so many little mistakes, it's um it's not not a positive sign for the yeah. for the business. So so that so that that makes sense. Yes. And it wasn't immediate. It wasn't as if this was the straw that broke the camel's back. It wasn't. This was just, at the end of the day, truly a minor hiccup for the company that I worked for. And it really wasn't much more than that for the other company. They slowly, though, they petered out over time. You said it, they so, kept making too many small mistakes. So stepping back, I think an interesting framework or way of thinking about this is the following the the artisan versus the professional so a lot of people get into something because they love that thing i love cooking so i want, I want to be I, I want to be a chef you know i love skiing oh i have an idea on how to make cooler skis so i'll make cool skis so people get get into something because they're this artisan they like it but that way of thinking is very different than the professionals way um way, way of thinking in fact as a parenthetical side note i'll observe this even linguistically because i'm a little obsessed with words and where they really come from where you can think about the amateur and the professional mm-hmm. and the word amateur comes from the latin word for to love amar mm-hmm. so the amateur is you do it out of love while the professional comes from the latin word for religion you profess a belief mm-hmm. so the professional has here are the here are the rules of the of the religion of our profession. Mm-hmm. The lawyers, you know, kind confidentiality. Do it like this. Do it like this. Every profession mm-hmm. has their religious like rules, mm-hmm. and they're very different ways. So this challenge happens is often people get into something because they're the amateur, the artisan, and they love it. But then to actually grow it in a serious way, you need to be a professional, mm-hmm. and they're just like opposite ways of thinking, and no one teaches you how to be a professional. In fact. One of the subtext of this podcast is try to help is to try to help the artisan learn how to behave in this like in in in, in this more professional way to help smooth out these sorts of situations. You know, I, I like that very much because we see it again with food-based businesses. We see it all the time. And sometimes with food, you know what, that amateur can actually bring something to the industry because they bring a disruption. And that can force everybody right. to grow and change. Oftentimes, though, those people are running very small, very niche companies, and they don't scale necessarily. The only time often you see them scale is when they do bring in a business partner who can handle that. Oftentimes, those companies are successful because the person who truly has the passion and that skill they don't move on from that. They don't delegate like we talked about earlier. That's portion of it. They delegate everything about growing the company. And that can be very important. Again, what I speak here about food-based businesses is knowing as the entrepreneur, 
where is your passion and where's your skill lie? And then bringing the right people in, setting them up for success and letting them do the work and trusting them to do the work. If you love research and development and creating new products, okay, you can at least when you start, keep that for yourself. Make sure though you hire somebody who can do marketing, who can do sales, who can take care of the areas where you're not a professional. Because if you don't, to go back to some 80s movies, forget about it. You're done. <laughs> you're, you're bringing back all these movies of, uh, of, of my childhood. I yeah. almost want to quote Ferris Bueller. <laughs> well, people will be coming into your former place of business going, Bueller? Bueller anybody? <laughs> eh, you know, that, that's what's going to happen. So there you go. <laughs> You'll be a car going off a cliff. I mean, we can do this all night. <laughs> oh There'll be girls sitting in the class. I'm teaching them that when they blink, have like uh, uh, love yeah. written, written in their yeah. eyelids. <laughs> oh uh, I can't believe I remember that scene from that ancient movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so th this is a fascinating episode. Uh, I learned a lot especially all about TDSs and, and, um, and, and all this. Um, any final thoughts or general comments or guidance that you want to give to a younger version of yourself? In this specific instance, because of where I was and the position I had, I'm not sure how much influence I would have had in in this specific situation if though i were to offer anything to either the younger me or anyone who is coming up in an industry what i would say to them is just remember that leaders are not only assigned leaders are not only chosen because they have a specific title in the company leadership is something that you can exhibit no matter where you are so those of us who were down the ladder in this situation we could have shown leadership by going to the pastry sous chef and saying hey here's where we're struggling can we try this or what do you think about this and starting these conversations making sure that we're leading by example not showing frustration being the people who are looked up to. And that's really what I would say is to people starting out or to younger people, the younger version of myself, remember that you don't have to be given leadership. You can develop it within yourself. You can show it and you can take charge and you can be a leader regardless of where you sit in a hierarchy for a company that doesn't matter with what I do. I'm considered a senior leader. That's in my title. Good for me. Frankly, it doesn't mean anything unless I actually perform the work of the senior leader. And I, as part of that work, I want everyone on my team to be just a, as good of a leader as I am to their teams and to each other. It's really about having strong communication skills and doing what is right 
for the situation and always adding value. If you so, can. So I love that. I agree hundred percent. What I would add to that to throw a bit of a wrinkle into it is what's okay. also an ooh, wrinkles are fun. I like that. <laughs> Unless they're old. Is <laughs> is um and it is leadership needs courage. And yes. yes. And I think that's important because it's not just communication. Because and because I think I agree with everything you're saying in theory, but what I've seen happen so much in practice is it's in difficult, high-stress situations. The client comes in and is having tantrums and freaking out while we're trying to like speed up because we're delayed. That's the moment where everyone gets scared and 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 under pressure, and where from the top to the bottom, it's where even though if you know theoretically you're like oh my God, I should say something. I should do something. Like you get like, you feel out of place because you don't have senior leader in your t- title. And even when you do have senior leader in title, you're like, who wants to confront the client? And because it's hard to tell the client that that they're being a baby and um, and, and so on. And um, so I think what's important, uh, I think what's often forgotten or not emphasized enough is in the difficult moments, to be a leader, that's where you need the courage to shine and like and to and to stand up for what you know is right. Yeah. What I've learned is to do that, a lot of times it means taking a pause. Step back for a moment, let the situation breathe for a few seconds. Sometimes I'll even count to four and then I will say what needs to be said. Don't just rush into a situation. Stop, pause, and then what you say will be more powerful. It also, though, gives you a second to put your thoughts together because <laughs> that's very important. It's very important to be able to actually have a concise, valuable thought in those types of moments. What what I often do in those situations, like when I want to confront someone and it's like important and high stress and I need the courage. One of my favorite personal Morgan methodologies to do this is when I go talk to them. The first thing I do is I repeat to them what is happening as mm-hmm. seen from their eyes in the most yes. favor in the most mm-hmm. favorable interpretation. Yes. So we saw I'll be like. Like, hey, boss, here's what's happening. I think you're doing this and this and this because you see the client flipping out and we're delayed. So you're thinking that the best way to quickly solve everything is by doing this and this. So I fully understand that 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 this is why you're doing it. I just want to tell you, here's what you don't know. Here's another perspective. Here's those, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's starting it by reframing it from their eyes with the most positive interpretation. You've mentioned about three times today, the importance of empathy is like, it mm-hmm. opens that difficult conversation you need courage with by showing a deep empathy for them, which immediately disarms them and puts them to be favorable. Listen, mm-hmm. he understands me. He can see it from my eyes. Like, mm-hmm. like he, he's not accusing me or being angry. And now that they no, feel that, that, then you can go into your, like, what you think should be done instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Never accuse. I always will ask questions as well. 
I try to ask more questions than make statements and to find out what's actually going on. If I have a difficult conversation with somebody, for example, let's say I'm told one of my team members performed a certain action. I never assume what I was told is correct. Right. I go and start asking them questions first to understand, as you're saying, to have empathy for them to understand the situation, to make sure that I hear exactly their point of view, I can repeat it back to them, and then we can have a conversation around it. Because otherwise, you're seen as attacking, aggressive, and then people will shut down. I always make sure that I'm trying to frame what I'm saying in the best way for the person to receive it, not necessarily the most comfortable way for me to share it. The most important part of presenting any type of information is that the person receives it well, not yes. your presenting it. Right? You have to make sure that you are presenting in a way that works for each individual that you are dealing with. So you know that they are going to hear what you're truly saying, not their interpretation of it, and that they will understand and retain the message that you're giving to them. Much easier said than done because everyone interprets things in very different ways. So you have to start with modeling the other person's mind and then mm -hmm. say, how can I frame this in a way that, that they're most likely to, that's most likely to resonate with them and doing it in real time under pressure requires a lot of practice. <laughs> oh yes, I mean, it does. It's much easier when you know the person when they are a member of your team or a client that you work with often, it kind of becomes second nature. You understand their communication style. You understand what works with them. You have past experience. You have data to go off of. With new people, though, it can be incredibly difficult. And I am by no means an expert. It's just a skill. It's a muscle, though. And the more that you try yeah. and the more that you work on communicating with people in those difficult situations, the better you get at it. It's like any kind of skill. Public speaking is the same. The more that you work at it, the better you get at eliminating filler words. Same idea. Love it. This has been great. I want to end with a 30-second fun question that is of zero importance and nothing to do with the topic, which is because one of the yes. running themes of our the best part one of our this is impromptu one of the running themes of our conversations has, uh, tonight has been 80s movies and i realized we're i mentioned first we were talking about the blink with love but i but as we, as i said it in the last few minutes i was like wait was that first Bueller or was that indiana jones because so indiana I, jones. you know mm -hmm. So what's so what's funny is I because I remember from the Bueller Bueller teacher in the school scene, and I remember that blinking and the girl looking at him. But after I said, I was like, "Wait a minute, that was Indiana Jones." So now I'm happy that I asked the question and 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 and, and clarified to like I want to correct the record that I that that I do yes. know my movies. <laughs> <laughs> Probably better than me. I watched a lot of them in the '90s because I was too little in the '80s to uh, watch them. They are though. The movies I grew up on. It's 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 actually the the, the same for me. 
I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 46. So I, so in the nineties, I watched lots of 80s, I watched lots of, um, 80, 80s movies. In fact, the decade, I always think that the decades that we associate with are kind of off by half decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Like what we think of exactly. as the 70s was really like 75 to like 83. What we think of as the 80s was really like 84 to 94. But what we think of the 90s was like 95 to 2005 and, 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 and so on. And, and I, I want to say, also say, I thank you for uh, not correcting my first Bueller and Danny Jones mixup. <laughs> You're like a very respectful guest. You, you, you don't want to be the asshole criticizing the host. So I'll criticize myself. <laughs> uh, well, since I do that myself as well, I get it. Also, in the moment, I'm not even sure if I'm correct. Right. So why take the time, right? We move on. We're having a good time theme of the night there was no value in interrupting you there to share something that i've been wrong about i i I appreciate you because you've emphasized this a few times i didn't mention it i appreciate your constant emphasis on always adding value and i think um i think it's a i don't talk to my employees and my team about it but i think that's a very powerful way 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 of thinking a way what i realized in real time is something i would tell everyone i work with is is I want you to add thought to whatever you do. I say, if I wanted to hire a robot, mm-hmm. I would just have software do this. So mm-hmm. you, so like mm-hmm. you are I'm using you and not software only because you have a brain and the software just follows yeah. rules. Mm-hmm. And I realized that's kind of the same thing. It's another way of making your, uh, 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 making your point about, about always, always adding value. But I, I like your language. I think it's a, it's a use, useful and powerful way of framing it. No, oh, thank you. And I like that too, about adding thought. We look at it in terms of what I do. You always want to make sure that whenever you have an interaction with somebody, they're walking away better for the interaction. Frame it for oh, Make sure that you've done an action that's going to improve their day in some way, shape, or form. A lot of times what that means for us is if you can do a little bit of homework when before a meeting or before an interaction so that you don't waste somebody's time by having them look up a fact or a figure or just go on a wild goose chase for you, just please do it. Please. And that's just one example. But I love that too, adding thought to your work. It's a great, great way to frame because it's all part of the same concept at the end of the day. And hopefully we both added some value to everyone who's listening and watching this episode. It's been fun. Thank you for coming. And everyone who made it to the end, Go watch Indiana Jones or Ferris Bueller or <laughs> thank or you Star everyone. Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Oh, I just read an article about how Star Trek two days ago about how Star Trek one is an underrated movie. Like everyone hates it, but but I just read an article that that is actually a, a secret masterpiece. What what's what's your thought on that before we end it? it it depends on which cut you watch. So there's a director's cut from Robert Wise. And that's generally the cut that people are speaking about is that that cut really makes it an even better movie. And then recently they actually just did a 4K restoration of that cut. So you can actually now find uh, an updated version of that cut, which I haven't gotten to watch yet. I hear though it has great sound, good restoration. And I'm hearing exactly what you're hearing that, it is an underrated movie 
especially with this 4K Director's Edition. And I will say personally, I used to watch it a lot growing up, mainly because nobody else in my family liked it. So it would annoy them. So as a small child, if you can do something to annoy your family, you're going to do it. At the same time, though, I definitely have a, an appreciation and love for Star Trek The Motion Picture. It is a good movie. If you've not liked it in the past, give it a chance. We, you know, I just read an article. I think uh, I, I, think I, might, I, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I did love Star Trek uh-huh. II, The Wrath of Khan growing up. And coincidentally, about a week ago, I had a dream about it. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But I was waiting online and uh, at, at a store, and like uh-huh. there's this old guy in front of me. He had a lot of earwax, and that night I dreamed of there's a, there's a scene in Star Trek Two where they like put some like yes. creature in someone's ear. Uh-huh. I haven't seen this in yep. literally thirty yep. years, mm-hmm. but like all these childhood movies, these mm-hmm. things I watched when I was sixteen are like ingrained in my brain. So I don't even remember what it was in the ear, yeah. but I remember like some star. I had a dream about this Star Trek king going in my ear after seeing mm-hmm. his earwax in this guy's yep. ear. <laughs> you you probably know i don't even remember the scene I'm, that my mind remember but you probably know what i'm mm-hmm. talking about <laughs> oh yes definitely yep the seti eels and con yes uh-huh yep the seti eels yep. I... Yep. <laughs> I think it's awesome that, that you know this this is this is this is fan, this is fantastic <laughs> this is fun so every, so, every girl i've ever dated doesn't <laughs> Well, you're, you're you're not you're not really my my type. I I, I tend to perform with a villa station, <laughs> but it's, it's 2022, and everyone has their preferences. That's that's my personal preference. Um, this was fun. Thank I uh, thank you, yes, and thank yes. you everyone for watching it this far. Thank you. Bye.